You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. It is finally Friday. Welcome into Crunch Time here on the game at Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. You're home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros. Matt Miguez here inside the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. Evco Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. The game hotline is 337-706-0111. The College World Series got underway this morning, and folks, let me tell you, Oral Roberts is not going away. Uh, they were down one nothing. hit a two-run homer to make it 2-1 to one, Oral Roberts. And then the bottom of the eighth, TCU explodes, gets three runs to take a 5-2 lead. And as I speak, James Mesh, Brock Brothers hits a three-run shot with one out in the top of the ninth, Oral Roberts now leads it 6-5. to five. James Mesh, good afternoon, sir. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. This is getting a real, this has become a really exciting game as of late, huh? Yeah, you know, like I said, Oral Roberts had the home run in the sixth. They made it 2-1 instantly in the bottom half of the sixth. TCU answered to tie it up. Mm-hmm. And then in the eighth, you know, Oral Roberts kind of went off the rails a little bit. You had a single. You had a walk, you had an intentional walk to load the bases, and then you walked in a run and you hit a guy. And, you, and you're thinking, oh, or Roberts falling apart at the seams. Their well, offense showed up. <laughs> no. In the top of the ninth. New life in the ninth, huh? This is abs- and, and this is why. This is why Omaha is incredible. Um, just, you just never, ever know what's going to happen. Uh, so again, we'll, we'll keep you updated through the last inning here as Oral Roberts leads TCU six to five uh, tonight at six o'clock. Virginia and Florida will do battle in the second game of the night before tomorrow gives way to Wake Forest, Stanford, and then Tennessee LSU. Also, some big storylines in the NBA to get to. We'll get to that. We'll update the U.S. Open and. Much more. Once again, your calls on the game hotline, 337-706-0111. James, let's start with an update on the Pelicans situation. So yesterday we discussed about how Zion Williamson could be in the trade conversations for the Pelicans in order for them to move up. Well, earlier today, there was a rumor that circulated from Brian Windhorst. And this is a quote from Wendy. It says, there's no relationship between Zion and the organization. And there seems to be a minimal relationship between Zion and his teammates from what I can understand. That's interesting. Right, because the whole part of that quote was like, oh man, there's like a whole nother level to it. But then he says, from what I understand. So it's like the the wording might be off. So he's right. like trying he, to interpret a certain way, but he doesn't know exactly like what he, to do with, with what's going on. He only has what he's been told, right? 
And what so, he's been told isn't very clear. He's he's not with feet on the ground. Oh, I can definitively tell you that Zion has no relationship with the Pelicans. He can't say that. He's gathering intel from sources that are closer to the situation than he is. So, it's very possible that that it could be skewed. But then, later today, Shams, who, you know, arguably the, the, the second best NBA analyst behind Woj, some people would flip it the other way around, he went on the Pat McAfee show, and, and I, I quote, To my knowledge, the Pelicans have not called the Hornets and offered Zion for the number two pick. The Pelicans want Scoot Henderson, and I'm told that the Hornets would want Brandon Ingram. Yeah, which completely changes everything we talked about the last couple of days. <laughs> so, ha- has it switched now to where Brandon Ingram's on the trade block for the New, or- the New Orleans Pelicans? It's interesting because you said that the Hornets are interested in B.I., but how interested are the Pelicans in getting rid of B.I.? That's really really what it comes down to. Because it's like, if you're not willing to get rid of him, well, either you're not going to be able to make a deal done. That That's the thing. How badly do you want Scoot Henderson? Yeah. that That's the ultimate question. How badly do you, be, or how much do you believe that Scoot Henderson can be a franchise-altering player? Because say you get rid of, let's, let's say that trade goes down hypothetically. So, even though we know that Willie Green doesn't really start his rookies very often, I feel like if you're getting the number two overall pick... Scoot Henderson starts. You start Scoot Henderson. So Scoot will start at point. You move CJ back to the two. Either Herb or Trey plays the three. And then you still have Zion at the four, and then you have Jonas at the five. Yeah. Which, I mean, is a little bit of a small ball lineup, but I think it's one that could work. But man, look, I don't love the idea of trading BI. I don't. However, I, I said it earlier this week and I'll say it again. I would rather trade Brandon Ingram than trade Zion Williamson. Because you look at Zion, right? I get it. He's had all kinds of health issues. He hasn't really been available. Best ability is availability. I I get it all. I do. He seems to find himself in the new circulation. Yeah. Yeah. Usually not good ways. Not the best ways. Do we remember how the first four years of Dwell and Beat's career went? Very injury riddled. Where is he now? He just won MVP. My point. Just because he spent the first four years mostly injured doesn't mean that he can't be the guy that you thought he would be. And again, with a talent like Zion Williamson, it is my belief that you have to take the chance on that. And if you get it wrong, then you get it wrong. But you're going to be more wrong if you let him walk away and he becomes that player than if you hold on to him and he just doesn't become that guy. In, in my opinion. I, I think you screw up more if you let him walk away than if he just can't get healthy and 
you know, dude run in, ran into a stretch of bad luck, got injured too much, you know, thing of that nature. I just kind of feel like either way, whatever the Pelicans do with Zion Williamson, whether they keep him for the long term or trade him, it just feels like either way it's not going to work out for you if you're a fan or if you work for the Pelicans organization because if you trade him, you kind of get that feeling like all of a sudden he's going to be fine, he rarely gets injured, or it doesn't feel like he's off the court as much as he was with the Pelicans, and he becomes like a top 10, top 5 player in the league and one of the faces of the NBA. Mm -hmm. But then if you keep him, it just feels like the continuation of the headache of him always not being dressed and but, playing. But, it's like it just feels like either way you lose. But you're missing the third caveat. What if he's on the same track as Joel Embiid and he comes back to playing 55, 60 games a year and MVP caliber talent? You're missing that leg of it. There is a way for the Pelicans to win here. Granted, two big things have to happen. Number one, you got to be a little lucky. Mm-hmm. Number two, Zion has to be willing to put in the work. And that's a that's a big question mark. There's also a fourth leg to this. Which is? Which is if you trade him, you say you say either you I said either you keep him and he gets he just stays getting injured. Correct. And you're saying if you keep him, but if he gets healthy and becomes like Joel Embiid, becomes MVP, could say the same exact thing where well if you trade him, he just continues the same Injury trajectory in his season and his career just falls a lot shorter than you anyone thought initially. I mean, yes, that that could very well be true as well. I think I feel like the most likely of the two would be if you trade him, he becomes the Joel Embiid that you think he can be. Correct. So but that's then why he, that's why you don't trade him. But then if you keep him, he becomes the Anthony Bennett. I think you keep him. And he becomes Joel Embiid. That's what I see happening. Is now, that is that optimistic Pels fan? It, it very well could be. It very well could be. But you've seen it happen before. Mm -hmm. So, for me, if you've seen it happen before, there's no reason that it can't happen again. So why not let it happen for you instead of against you? That's where I stand. That's that's my two cents. I would rather it happen and it help you, it benefit you, than it hurt you. I just know that there's way too many guys on this roster that are talented because you've seen it before. You've seen them where they are at the top of the West, and you're looking at it and you're like, wow, they're at the top of the mountain. But too many of them get injured. It's like I think you need to move on from a couple of the guys that get injured too often. And find guys that you can rely on more often than 40 games, that's 40, you, 50 games. And that's why you get rid of Brandon Ingram. There's one of your injury problems gone. Bye-bye. Appreciate everything you did, Brandon, but look, man, it's Scoot Henderson. It's Scoot Henderson. Can you imagine a lineup of Scoot Henderson and Zion Williamson? And I don't want to hear, oh, well, they're only going to play 10 games together. Don't, don't do that. Don't do that.
Let's have some optimism. 20. 50-ish. 55. Let's let's hope. Let's be optimistic, but let's also be real. Zion's not going to play 82 games. No. He's not. I think you strike a gold mine if he plays 60. It feels like at this point you hit a gold mine if you get 50%. Well... Yeah, after what you've had so You're like, far. Oh, damn, we we got a good season out of Zion. Right. He played half the games. Yes. Wow, he, he played 45 games? All right, we're rolling. We're rolling. Might be able to build on that for next year and make it 55. Fifth seed's looking scary. Man, I'm just saying, uh, a lineup with Scoot Henderson and Zion Williamson would be dangerous in the Western Conference. we got a great show lined up for you today. Jake Crane's going to join us to kick off our number two talking about all things Omaha with the College World Series, and then Wilson Alexander will join us at 5.30. He's in Omaha. We'll get his take on the Tigers' preparations and what you can expect in tomorrow's game against Tennessee right here on The Game. This is Crunch Time on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Speaking of the LSU Tigers, they face off against the Tennessee Volunteers at the College World Series on Saturday night, and you can catch all the action live right here on The Game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Pre-game begins at 5.30 with first pitch from Charles Schwab Field set for 6. That's live LSU baseball from the greatest show on dirt on Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Got something to say to Miguez and Mesh? Hell yeah! It's easy. Just call the hotline by dialing 337-706-0111. Now back to more Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. The Horned Frogs. One out, runner on first and second. TCU still trails. Six to five in this one. Welcome back to Crunch Time. Four nineteen. Matt Miguez, James Mesh. Look, you, you see it happen a lot. Famous basketball players or, or famous athletes in general, when they retire, they become business owners. They become entrepreneurs. They become, you know, whatever. Right. Well, Michael Jordan has to be one of the savviest athlete-turned-businessman ever. So, as you know, in 2010, he purchased the majority stake of the Charlotte, then the Charlotte Bobcats, for $180 million. Since then, in 13 seasons, the now Hornets have never won a playoff series. They've never finished higher than sixth place in the East. And they have the fifth worst winning percentage in the NBA. So, James, not great statistics. No, the numbers not at all. the numbers are not behind you. No, but obviously, a lot of it has to do with being owned by Michael Jordan. Jordan sold the team today for three billion dollars. Which means that he's going to clear about $2.8 billion, Which is more than he has made from Nike 
in the last 40 years. Do you also know some of the notable signings that the Hornets have made? Gordon Hayward. Gordon Hayward in 2020. Four years, $120 million. Are, are, are we counting drafting as a signing, or are we talking about no. just free agency? Free agency. Who else? Terry Rozier oh, in yeah. 2019. Okay. Three years, 56.7. Nick Batum. Oh, that guy. Five years, 120. Oh, that guy. In 2016. And then also in 2016, Cody Zeller. Four years, 56 mil. Oh. Those are tantalizing free agent signings. See, and I don't mind Terry. Terry Terry Terry's been all right. Eh. But eh. obviously ever since Gordon Hayward left Utah, it's been so rough. so to sum it all up, Michael Jordan has done diddly squat as the owner in Charlotte. You remember that 2011 season with the Bobcats? Yes. Seven wins. Yes. One of them was against the Hornets. It was. It was. Um and yet he is making more money selling the team than Nike has given him in 40 years. <laughs> 40 years. And keep in mind, Jordan's shoe deal with Nike back in the 80s changed the game. Because up until Michael Jordan, athletes weren't getting cuts of the revenue. That wasn't a thing. You got a fat signing bonus for signing with said company, and the company told you, hey, thanks, have a nice day. Enjoy our shoes. And that was it. But then Jordan and his parents said, mm, no, we're going to do things a little differently. Michael gets a cut of every Jordan shoe that is sold. But over 40 years, the millions and millions and maybe even billions of pairs of Jordans that have been sold worldwide still hasn't been enough than what he just made selling the Charlotte Hornets. That is incredible. Absolutely incredible. So the Charlotte Hornets getting sold, Michael Jordan just getting richer. And then there's Ja Morant. And as you know, Ja Morant got in trouble earlier in the year for a multitude of issues. Uh, he had a, a gun in a nightclub. Apparently, he brought the gun on a team plane. He was suspended for eight games, was forced to go through counseling. Well, about a month ago now, I guess, he did it again. Went on Instagram Live sitting in a buddy's car and, and flashes the gun on Instagram Live. And then, you know, some people tried to say that it was a fake gun. And maybe it, maybe it was, but that, that's not really relevant to the point. He has now been suspended for the first 25 games of the 2023-2024 season. Uh... 25 games, and then conditions must be met. 
He will also be required to meet certain conditions before he returns to play and will be ineligible to participate in any public league or team activities, including preseason games during the course of his decision or suspension. James. This is a very sticky situation for not only the Memphis Grizzlies, but for the NBA as a whole. Now look, I'm not here to judge anybody. I will not do it. That is not my place. However, you just have to be smarter than this. Right? Like, the first time you do it, okay, I screwed up. I made a mistake. You know, I'll rectify my own actions, whatever. The second time? Mm. James, what are your thoughts? I mean, you would think you would have learned the lesson the first time and, like, not even mess with anything like that. I just, I don't understand exactly what's going on in Jaw's mind when something like that happens. I can't imagine what's going to happen if, like, a third instance like this happens again. But it's it's not the best thing to see for the league or for the Grizzlies or for Jaw Morant because you never want to have this type of publicity going around for your team league or for yourself as you're trying to build your brand. But we were talking about this with Ray not too long ago. And we had said that that they're probably going to wait for after the season concludes, after the NBA Finals is done. And we were looking at it. I remember Ray saying he was expecting it to be 30 games. I was thinking it was going to be closer to 40. So it's like a... I feel like 25s are not too much of an amount of games, but it's also not too little because it's like right. this is a solid chunk of the season and you're going to have to get acclimated once you get back because when you're suspended, you can't be with the team. For sure. For sure. Um, look, I, I, I hope and pray that the John Morant gets back on the right track because he is one hell of a basketball player and it, it would really just be a shame if – his poor decision making halted what what would be just an incredible career. Absolutely, because he's such a talented player. Yeah, absolutely. I, I remember seeing him in his final uh, NCAA tournament run. Oh man, he, he was electric at, Mor- at Murray State. He was he was insane. It, it was unreal what he was able to do in Matt McMahon's offense. Update on the U.S. Open over at Los Angeles Country Club. Ricky Fowler in the lead right now at 10 under through two holes. Wyndham Clark behind him at nine under Rory McIlroy made a little run today. He went three under on the afternoon. He's at eight under tied for third. Uh, Xander Shoffley, who just got underway is also tied for third at eight under. We'll keep you updated on the U S open throughout the show. We'll take a time out right now though. Dylan Cruz, Thatcher Hurd, and Jay Johnson hear from them ahead of their first game in Omaha. Next. This is crunch time. Live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. 432, almost 433. Welcome back 
into crunch time from the FCO Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. FCO Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. Give us a call on the game hotline 337-706-0111. And here in Acadiana, you can check us out on the simulcast on Stadium 32.3 and Channel 133 on LUS Fiber. Yesterday, all eight teams spoke to the media in Preparation for the College World Series, which got underway just earlier this afternoon. By the way, final score, Oral Roberts hangs on to take down TCU 6-5. to five. Blaze Brothers, which by the way, legendary name. Hell of a name. Uh, Three-run shot to left field in the ninth to give them the lead, and the defense was able to hang on and get it done. For the LSU Tigers, though, yesterday, Jay Johnson, Dylan Cruz, and Thatcher Hurd met with the media before their game against Tennessee tomorrow afternoon. And Jay Johnson opened by saying he's very proud to have brought this group to Omaha. Yes, uh, very proud of our team this year. Uh, Obviously a great collection of talent, but they became a team. Uh, We were very deliberate in how we did that. We've had great player leadership. And to have the expectations on them uh, to be the number one team in the country preseason, hold that for 11 or 12 weeks and, and not have a losing week the entire season, uh, speaks to their consistency and their, their talent. I believe we're playing the best uh, baseball that we have all year right now and uh, very proud of being here. And uh, with that being said, we're highly motivated to continue our streak of our best baseball right now and um, can't wait to get on a field and uh, very proud and very honored to bring this group of players to Omaha. Thatcher Hurd, who transferred into LSU this year from UCLA, Put it very simply, when, when he was asked about his transition from UCLA to LSU, saying he loves being an LSU Tiger. I love being, I love being an LSU Tiger. I love our coaches, love the teammates to death, uh, some of my closest friends, and uh, it's, been a, it's been a great season we've had. We've loved it, and I feel like I've grown a lot from it. And um, in terms of the adjustments, just sticking to my process every day and, and really... Um, staying true to that and um, some results following and then we're in a good spot now. You know, when you get to this stage with the College World Series and, and what's at stake, it's easy for things to get you know, overshadowed a little bit, for the lights to get bigger than, than they are. But at the end of the day, it's just another baseball game. You're playing at a different park. And Dylan Cruz said, we just have to go play and things will take care of themselves. Yeah, I mean, we had a little uh, little team meeting um, right after the SEC tournament and, uh, you know, got together and just, you know, we just said five games. Just give us five games to get here and uh, play your best baseball that you possibly can. Um, forget about all the stuff that happened in the season. Just focus on the present right now. Um, give us five games and to get here. And, and I think everything will kind of just take care of itself as soon as we get here. So um, you gotta, we got to keep this um, momentum keep uh, forward and, like I said, I think it's just going to take care of itself as soon as we start playing. James, this LSU Tigers baseball team is coming into Omaha with tons of momentum, tons of confidence, and everything is clicking right now. From offense to pitching, everything in between, this team is rolling into Omaha. Absolutely, and it's the perfect time to because you worried about what was going on at the end of the regular season with LSU. You kind of felt like, oh, they're kind of taking a step back. That's why you saw them go from first in the country 
to number two to then dropping to number five. And you're like, what's going on? Or are we going to see them even make it to Omaha? Like, are, are they even going to struggle in the super regional? Like what's, what's going on? And then once you got to the sec tournament, they, they started to turn it up and they weren't able to win, but they, it didn't really matter because whether they won it or not, they were going to host a regional. They took care of the regional and then got to Kentucky and made Kentucky almost look like a joke. Like that's that's just how good they've been the last couple of games yep. and the fact that everyone's clicking, everyone's stepping up what they need to. They're riding high for sure. And even though you're into the Elite Eight at this point, you would call it in Omaha, you gotta believe in LSU. I Absolutely. mean the, the talent is ridiculous, whether it's Cruz, Skeens, bunch of other guys, Trey Tommy Morgan. White, like Trey Morgan, everybody steps up in a big way, whether it's on offense or defense. And even though Tennessee is a really good team, that's why they're here, you still got to believe in LSU no matter what. And one big factor that could be playing into the momentum that LSU's rolling with is that their head coach has the mentality of being addicted to winning. Yeah, I mean, relative to like Omaha and the College World Series, I grew up in a small town and and playing Major League Baseball might as well have been going to the moon. You know what I mean? But, you know, when you watch the College World Series, whether it was LSU, Texas, Stanford, like that kind of seemed like a realistic goal. And so that was probably the first thought. I mean, football is my first love. No question about that. Um, but I realized really quickly, very good high school player. There wasn't many five foot seven, 165 pound running backs running around the SEC or the Pac-12 or that sort of thing. So it was just this is the way it was going to be. And, you know, got to play college baseball. And then, you know, becoming a coach was really the only option. You know, I'm, I'm addicted to winning. I'm addicted to um, developing programs and helping players achieve their goals. And um, it was just the route that it was going to be. And. You know, it's really awesome to be able to do it at, at LSU. I mean, because I view our university, our program is, is the pinnacle of the sport. You know, Jay, Jay Johnson's right on the money. When when you're five foot seven, unfortunately, uh, there, there's just not a, a lot out there in, in terms of sports, especially you know football. Um, baseball baseball is a little different. Uh, you've seen guys have success like Jose Altuve or, or you know a couple others. But, you know, when, when you look at what LSU has done o- over the last couple of weeks, it, it's really incredible to see. You, you notice how tight this group is and how it, it kind of feels like a family. You know, you saw everybody at Media Day the other day rocking the Hayden Travinsky t-shirts and, you know, things like that. It's important to have that mindset of a brotherhood and a family because, in my opinion, that's the, that's the best way to have success. And uh, Jay Johnson w- went into detail about that, talking about how teams have to be close-knit in order to, to succeed. Yeah, I won't take uh, any uh, credit for the goofiness, that's for sure. Um, now, I really want players to be themselves but to become a team. And I think um, that's been a big part of why I think this has worked is um, there was talented players here um, that were going to be coming into their own, that we tried to give them a development template. But 
to, for them to develop, they have to be at the field. And for them to develop as a team, they have to be together. So part of that, they have to take ownership in. And so if you let them be themselves, obviously within reason with, you know, class and character and all those types of things, I've always just found the buy-in goes up tremendously. Um, yeah, so as far as Travinsky t-shirts and all that, it's like, I mean, what? <laughs> We're good. Like they, they could just, as long as it's appropriate, I'm good with it. <laughs> Got to get you a Travinsky t-shirt. Got to get a Travinsky t-shirt. Absolutely. I, so Hayden Travinsky's from the Shreveport, Bossier City area, and, and I saw the 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 hats that we talked about the other day with the same little logo. Mm-hmm. I didn't I didn't care for it as much on the hat than oh, the t-shirt. Oh man, I like the hat. You like the hat? I, I like the gold outline. Mm-hmm on the logo that's on the hats because the hat's white with the purple yeah and then you had the gold outline i thought it looked good how about you get the hat i get the shirt let's do it all right i'm down with it <laughs> i am down with that 441 again the game hotline three three seven seven zero six zero one one one. james one thing that i i think is going to be interesting when you look at this lsu tennessee matchup is both teams have very solid pitching. But Tennessee has already announced that they're probably going to go with Andrew Lindsay tomorrow against LSU. And I find that interesting. I find that fascinating because you have to win game one to put yourself in position to make a run. I'm not saying you can't win it all out of the loser's bracket. It's happened. But you're putting yourself behind the eight ball. Correct. Because you're going with Lindsey, who's got a 3-3 three and three record, but there's Chase Dolander, and then even had someone who had a much better record at 9-4 and four with Drew Beam. Yep. Like, I'm, I'm surprised. Now, of course, I guess maybe they just know, like, hey, if we throw Drew now, like, whether we throw him or not, maybe they just don't feel like they have their best chances against Skeens. Because if you're LSU, why wouldn't you just throw Skeens now? And then once you get towards later in the World Series, you get him back. But it's like to me, I think you just got to throw your best punch. Yeah. If I'm Tony Vitello, I'm throwing Chase Dolander tomorrow night against LSU. Because, yes, Drew Beam does have the 9 and 4 record and he has a little bit better. Of an ERA, but Dolander has thrown eight more innings and has 39 more strikeouts. Dolander is their guy. He just happens to fall into the Saturday slot on the rotation, which I think is part of the reason why you're going to go with Lindsey because he's been your Friday guy. You're going to keep it as close to normal as you can. And from that aspect, I do get it. But from a rest aspect, everybody's rested. So why not throw Dolander? Why not put yourself in position to win game one? Because when Dolander threw against LSU in Baton Rouge two months ago, let's not forget, the game was tied in the eighth. Tennessee was in position to take that game if they wanted to. They made some critical defensive mistakes that that forced that that led to LSU making capitalizing on some opportunities and picking up the win. Would you 
and I'm thinking about this, would you not think of this in a similar way as remember when we were talking about the Cajuns toward the end of their football season? And you're like, look, you need to win one more. You don't feel great about the second to last game, but you feel a lot better about the last one to get to your sixth win. It's like, would you purposefully throw the second to last and then just throw all your eggs into one basket in the last one? Kind of feels like that same situation with Tennessee almost. Like, hey, yeah. we're 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 going to give it a shot against LSU, but we're more worried about the upcoming matchups after that. Like, we're... We're willing to go into the loser's bracket for sure and fight our way back into it. Jay Johnson also talked about Paul Skeens and the development that he's had because if you go back to his time at Air Force, he was a good pitcher, but he was known for his hitting. He had 22 home runs at Air Force last year. How did you get Paul Skeens to come to Baton Rouge and become the shutout ace pitcher that he is now. We'll take a timeout. We'll wrap up hour number one right after this. This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. The community is invited to join the Bayou Vermilion District's Vermilionville as they celebrate their annual Acadian Culture Day on Sunday, August 15th from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. The annual event will feature live music, a parade, art displays, cooking, accordion construction and repair, wood carving, open hearth cooking, and other demonstrations. Admission is free, and for more information, you can call 337-233-4077. You're listening to the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Slings it far side. Stingley steps inside the receiver and picks it off. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. A shot to left field. Going back on its Gordon. He'll look up at the corner. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Welcome back to Crunch Time, 450, almost 451. Apologize for the technical difficulties. Uh, we, we did find the, the audio that we were looking for. We'll bring that to you in just a little bit. But right now, the poll question of the day, how do you feel about the record low scores from the first round of the U.S. Open? Of course, Xander Shoffley and Ricky Fowler both shooting 62s yesterday. Uh, it'll be tougher today. Put the pins in the bunkers. I love it more birdies or I don't really have an opinion. LC commented, if you can't shoot under 100 on this course, your opinion on difficulty is irrelevant. Hoodat forever, watching golf is about as interesting as watching grass grow. The only worthwhile things golf has given the world is the Geico Kraken commercial and the Arnold Palmer. Ton says, to quote the great Peter Griffin, oh my God, who the hell cares? Look, I, I thought it was fun, and now today you're playing the second round and on the tournament, so day and a half now, you've had three aces on the par 3 15th. Now, granted, the par 3 15th is like 120 yards, but three hole-in-ones is pretty impressive. Right, because you get excited just to see one hole-in-one. So the fact that you, even though Even though it's a lot short of a course, still seeing three is kind of like a, this is nice. I like to see this. 
Absolutely. We love hole-in-ones. Absolutely. Uh, man, the, the U.S. Open has been so fun so far, and it's only going to get better as the course gets a little tougher as you head into the weekend. So once again, Jay Johnson told the media that Omaha is his favorite place in the world. You know, I never really thought of it in terms of how long it had been for LSU. I, this is my favorite place in the world, uh, and this program has had as good a history as any program in college baseball of, of being here. I think um, in accepting the job, I really wanted this group of players to play here. I mean, you know, the guy sitting to my left, he was part of me deciding to come here to get an opportunity to coach him at LSU for two years. And uh, they've done everything that we've asked them to do for 700 plus days. And, you know, when we took the field um, last weekend, there was just a really solid peace of mind that these guys were going to do it. And um, to see the fans get behind them, they're going to get behind LSU no matter what. But this is a really easy group to get behind, how hard they play, how much they care, how invested they are in the program. And, um, you know, that's kind of more where my thoughts were. And then LSU's head coach also talked about his ace pitcher, Paul Skeens, and how coming from Air Force and having the, the season that he did last year at Air Force focusing more on hitting than, than pitching necessarily, how did you turn him into the ace guy that he is now? It's a great question. I think uh, there's a lot of value in simplicity, I think. And he, he's a great two-way player. I mean, this dude was launching home runs in fall baseball. I mean, as impressive as it gets. Um, and, and he definitely could make an impact. Had I just made him a position player, he would have 20 home runs right now and potentially be hitting fifth or sixth for our team. Well, um, we had a really deliberate plan on the pitching side of it. Uh, we got him started uh, right when he got to campus uh, with Coach Wes Johnson uh, to develop his slider. There were some things that we needed to do. And so we started to do that um, early. We shut him down earlier in the fall to give him more ramp up time for the season. And then you know, it wasn't intentional, but I think kind of removing the two-way player thing, I started to see uh, his ability to recover physically better. And you're minimizing the rotations because the rotation of a pitching delivery, rotation of a hitting swing, he's right-handed in both, it's very similar. And so I feel like last year he was catching, <laughs> he was swinging a bat, he was running the bases, he was potentially playing first base at times. And then also, you know, going six or seven innings in a league that's not very easy to pitch in. And I know that firsthand. So I think kind of the simplicity of it. And then you take someone that is so driven, that is so disciplined, and get them on track with one thing. What does Friday to Friday look like? And then he's absolutely mastered that. So when you're talking about recovery, when you're talking about development, velocity improvement, improving his secondary pitches he's been able to go all in on those things and uh, I think that's probably the reasoning Ricky Fowler up to 11 under now at the U.S. Open here on Friday afternoon James before we end our number one real quick on the Houston Astros you were right on the money they fell to the Washington Nationals last night and now they're going to open a three-game series with the Reds tonight. 7-10 first pitch from Minute Maid Park. J.P. France will go for the Astros, 2-1 with a 3.54 ERA in 40 innings. He's given up 37 hits and seven homers. Andrew Abbott will oppose him, 
2-0 on the season, and in 11 and two-thirds innings has an ERA of zero. He's only given up six hits, and he has struck out 10. Uh, small sample size. Very small. I was, I was going to say it's impressive that like he's got a 2-0 record and hasn't given up a single run so far, but it is a small sample size, and I think with tonight you will see it jump up to just a little bit. Like I'm sure the Astros should be able to put up, what, two or three runs on him? Yeah, I would think so. Um, John- Even if it's one, it's more than he's given up all year. Jonathan India, the leading batting average guy for the Reds at 278. He has eight homers and 36 RBIs on the season. I am a little disappointed to not see Ellie De La Cruz in the lineup uh, for, for the Cincinnati Reds. He must be getting the day off tonight. Uh, Jeremy Pena returns to the lineup for the Astros, though. Dubon, Altuve, Bregman, Tucker, Abreu, Diaz, Pena, McCormick, Maldonado. Our number one is in the books. Our number two, two guests in it. Wilson Alexander will join us from Omaha to talk about all things LSU. And, of course, each and every Friday we get our number two started with our guy Jake Crane, host of Crane & Company for Jake's Takes. You are listening to the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros. And we'll be back right after this top of the hour sports update. You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Hour number two of Crunch Time here on the game, Southwest Louisiana's sports station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros. In our number one, we talked about the College World Series. Got you set for LSU in Tennessee. We'll talk about that a little bit more here in hour number two. We also looked at the news that the Charlotte Hornets are getting sold by Michael Jordan for a whopping amount of money here inside the FCO Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. As a reminder, FCO Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. Jake Crane was supposed to join us to kick off our number two, but he had an emergency come up. So, not to worry, James and I can can handle ourselves. Isn't that right, James? Absolutely. Come on. We already did it for the last hour. Why can't we do 30 more minutes? So... This is this is something that I really want to get into. This is a fun time of year for the NFL because free agency is getting ready to fire up deeper than it already is. Mini camps, training camp around the corner. The supplemental draft is returning in July for the first time in four years. And the way the supplemental draft works is all 32 teams will now have the opportunity to surrender future draft picks in exchange for prospects deemed ineligible for the draft in April. So CBS Sports has put together a list of some of the most notable supplemental draft picks of the last 20 years. James, the first one, how about going back to 2006, Ahmad Brooks the outside linebacker who had a stellar career in the NFL. He did spend two seasons with the Bengals. Uh, He spent the bulk of his time with the 49ers. uh, Closed 51.5 sacks in eight years, the third most by anyone in Niners history, behind a pair of Hall of Famers in Bryant Young 
and Charles Haley. Terrell Pryor as well. He didn't really pan out too much in the league. He was a fascinating player, though. He was. Going, uh, going from a quarterback, mainly running one, and then for turning sure. into a wide receiver was, was kind of one of those rare position changes. It didn't work out for a super long time, but it was still fascinating to see in the little time that we did see it. Josh Gordon. Oh, Josh Gordon. Cat can't get out of his own way. He had a great start to the NFL. 805 yards, then he had 1646 in 2013. Guy was just incredible. But substance abuse issues kept coming up. That's why he was suspended at Baylor and was ineligible for the draft in April. And so he kept getting suspended, and he kept getting reinstated just to get suspended again. After his first suspension in 2014, he played 10 games over the next four seasons. He briefly returned to the Patriots in 2018 and then played sparingly due to, you guessed it, more suspensions for the Seahawks, Chiefs, and Titans through 2022. And he's currently in the XFL playing for the Seattle Sea Dragons. Jalen Thompson, the Cardinals' safety, was a fifth-round pick in 2019 in the supplemental draft. Uh, so those are just a couple of guys that, that come to mind in terms of the supplemental draft. Ralph comes in. We, we, we love when Ralph gives us tidbits. I nominate Dave Wilson for the Saints as the worst supplemental pick. We lost our first rounder the following year, and he was hot garbage. Yeah, sometimes when you when you forego future picks, it can come back to bite you. And in, in the Saints case with, with Dave Wilson, it certainly did. Um, that, that was not a great decision from the New Orleans Saints there. Again, U.S. Open, Ricky Fowler at 11 under, Wyndham Clark at 9 under, and Rory and Xander Shoffley tied for third at 8 under. But James, getting back to the College World Series like we were talking about earlier, I mentioned already Oral Roberts took down TCU. Tonight you're going to see Virginia and Florida. That game's going to be interesting because both of these teams have really good offenses, but also really good pitching. And when you have matchups like that, what it's going to come down to is which one kind of prevails, right? You know, you look at Florida, they're a historic program. They've been here before. They know what it takes to win a national championship. Virginia's done it before as well, so experience doesn't really play an advantage to either either team in this scenario. But having a guy like Jack Coglianone, uh, the the next Shohei Otani, maybe similar, uh, a, a guy that can pitch and pitch well, and then he set the Florida record for home runs in a single season. I think that plays a huge factor for Florida and gives them a major advantage in this game strictly because of the fact that he can do it all. 
And now that TCU has lost, James, I am prepared to remedy my pick. I do not think TCU advances out of bracket one anymore. I'm going with Florida. I'm looking for a Florida LSU national championship series. And that happened a couple years ago. And it didn't it, it didn't pan out well for the Tigers. But I think this one could go differently. But for tonight's game between the Cavaliers and the Gators, I am certainly going with the group from Gainesville. And then, of course, tomorrow, Stanford and Wake Forest at 1 o'clock before Tennessee and LSU play at 6 o'clock. Pre-game at 5.30 for that one. And, of course, as always, you can hear it right here on the game with the voice of the Tigers, Chris Blair, here on the LSU Sports Radio Network. Speaking of the LSU baseball team, Dylan Cruz racked up a, a national award today. He was named the Bobby Bragan National Collegiate Slugger of the Year. The award goes to the best D1 offensive player in the country and is also based on performance at the plate, academics, and personal integrity. Cruz, of course, has a 434 batting average, which is third in the country. With 17 homers, 67 RBIs. And in addition, the LSU outfielder is, of course, the top-rated draft prospect, and he's expected to be the number one overall pick. According to the executive director of the foundation, Tracy Taylor, this was the deepest and most talented group of players we have seen in the history of the award. It was a very close race, and I think the selection committee did a great job in selecting Dylan Cruz as the winner. Dylan hit over 430 with an on-base percentage of 576 and a 1.310 OPS in the toughest league of college baseball. He was the SEC Player of the Year and a consensus All-American. But on top of that, Dylan was also on the SEC Community Service Team, as well as being an excellent student. Uh, he has been recognized for his work with families with physical and mental disabilities in Baton Rouge and with Team of Dreams. He's a great example of what the Bobby Bragan National Collegiate Slugger Award is all about. James Dylan Cruz and Paul Skeens are going to have to build some shelves for the hardware that they are about to rake in over the coming days. I mean, but that's kind of just how it goes when you're one of the best players in your sport the awards are going to rack up together because once one comes then another then another and it starts to pile up i mean that's why you see it with paul Skeens. is why you saw it with you know players like angel reese you've seen it with like jordan brown like for sure you see it with guys whether it's local or national it's like once you get one and you get the recognition other other committees for other awards are going to see and be like, you know what, uh, you're right. I, I see him as the best hitter or the best shooter or the best thrower. Like, it, I, w- once once one comes, so much right. more will come, and it becomes like an avalanche for sure. I have a feeling with with Paul Skeens winning the Dick Hauser Trophy, I have a feeling that the Golden Spikes Award is going to Dylan Cruz. Because you have three finalists for, for the Golden Spikes Award, and it's Cogliano, mm-hmm. and then Skeens and Cruz. 
I don't know that Skeens gets both. And maybe he does. And I'm not I'm not saying that he wouldn't be deserving. Because, uh, I mean, he's, he certainly would deserve to win both of them. But it's like they're both so special. And the fact that Paul would already be getting one, you kind of would almost want to give the other one to Dylan Cruz. Especially if that way you hit both, both sides if LSU wins the whole thing. Also, in, in Omaha, are we really surprised that LSU was blowing the Jello Shot Challenge out of the water? Kind of, sort of, but not really. Because you almost wondered, are just a bunch of LSU fans just going to bring their own? You started to question that, like yeah. You, like, like, people down the South love their competition, of course. So it's like, you see a challenge like this and you want to do it, but at the same time, it's like, Sometimes people are like, I'd rather just bring my own. And, but the, but the, the fact that the LSU fans have shown up for this Jello Shot Challenge is absolutely hilarious. And, and I think that part of it is the fact that the the bar is donating right, you, money you donate to, uh, to, to the, the Baton college. Rouge Food Bank, and then they're also donating to the Food Bank of Omaha. So I think that plays a factor into it. Um, be, because otherwise, you would just make your own because... Jello is super cheap. Right. And you can make so much of it. Correct. Another golf story that is just coming across that is actually rather, rather large. Uh, Tiger Woods has announced that he will not compete in the Open Championship in England at the Royal Liverpool Golf Course. Um, according to a spokesperson from the event we've been advised the tiger will not be playing in this year's tournament and we wish him all the best in his recovery with that being said a shortened masters appearance which he withdrew in the fourth round will be his only appearance on a major stage in 2023 tiger woods at the age of 47 currently has no timetable for his return to competitive golf. And he said at the Genesis Invitational back in February that because of his health status and constant pain management, he will likely aim to only play the four majors each year with a chance of adding other events depending on how he feels. For the game of golf's sake and selfishly as well, I hope Tiger can return to at least half of what his former self used to be because even half of prime Tiger Woods would still be pretty damn good. Um, and if he can get to the point to where he's only playing the four majors, then that's great. Uh, because, I mean, obviously those are the tournaments that everybody cares about the most. So if he could get his pain level to where he could partake in those four events, I think that would be critical, um, at, at least over the next couple of years, until it's Charlie's turn to take over the PGA Tour. 5.15, we'll take a timeout. We return. We'll talk New Orleans Saints. Yesterday was their final day of OTAs. Hear from Chris Olave and others right here on The Game. This is Crunch Time on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 and company is headed to Omaha for the College World Series. Raymond will be broadcasting his show live from downtown Omaha Monday morning, where he will recap LSU's first game of the College World Series. We'll preview game two on Monday, and of course, take your phone calls on the hotline. So tune in Monday morning as RP3 and company will be broadcasting live from Omaha. Let your voice be heard. 
Hello. Give us a call on the hotline at 337-706-0111 and speak your mind. Hello. This is The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Crunch Time 519, almost 520 here on the game inside the Evco Development Studios here in Upper Lafayette. The game hotline is 337-706-0111. The final day of mandatory minicamp was yesterday for the New Orleans Saints. And you've heard a bunch of different headlines. You know, Chris Olave looks great. Alvin Kamara looks like his healthy, younger self. Uh, Derek Carr doing a nice job of getting the ball to his teammates and so much more. Uh, Ted Ginn now on the coaching staff helping out the wide receivers. And uh, second-year wide receiver Chris Olave elaborated on that and what it means to develop from Ted Ginn. Uh, it's huge. I looked up to him uh, when I was younger, watching him on TV. Um, you know, he came way before me, so uh, it, was, it was always a standard to, to be behind him. Uh, he set the standard high, and uh, I always wanted to uh, uh, have a play style like him. And just to have him uh, be out there and, and, and help us and coach us uh, definitely helped me. Chris also talked about wide receiver coach Cody Burns and how he's helped develop the superstar. Uh, I'm glad I have a guy like him uh, just to have him by my side, especially as my coach. Uh, yeah, he holds me to a high standard, uh, just like I hold myself. So I uh, just have him in my ear, uh, especially on, on the bad days or days I don't feel like doing stuff. Uh, he's always there uh, encouraging me and pushing me. So I definitely uh, like him a lot as a coach. Yes, James. I said superstar. Chris Olave is a superstar wide receiver. That's some high praises. And don't get me wrong, I think he's really good, but like, Say he's one of the best of the best already. Wow. Superstar wide receiver. Okay. Mark my words. I'm not saying he won't be a superstar, but to call him already a superstar. He's a superstar in the eyes of the New Orleans Saints. For okay. sure. I mean, but one of the few bright spots offensively. I mean he 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 will be a superstar in the league before long. Eventually, yeah. Yeah. There, I mean, there's no there's no denying that. After what you saw in his rookie season. He is set to do some incredible things in year two and beyond. New Saints running back Jamal Williams spoke about the playbook, and he also talked about Alvin Kamara and how they complement each other. But question number one was, have you gotten acclimated to this team and your new city? Oh, it's pretty great around here, honestly. I like it. It's hot. Uh, yeah, it's hot. I'm learning. Since I've been here, I've just been dropping pounds like crazy but i'm enjoying it i like the the humidity it's pretty good you know what i mean i love the seafood part that's my favorite thing about uh new orleans right now uh i can't wait to get on the field so i can start doing my no love dances i got a couple of them ready to go i've been practicing in my house so other than that i'm good he's got dances ready to go and he's been practicing them in his house i can't wait to see it do you know how much I love Jamal Williams? Uh, I mean, that guy. The, the, oh, oh, I love it. Oh, it's hot. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Shed a couple and pounds. Then, and then, so he talks about how hot it is, right? And then he continues to go on to say, I really like the humidity. What? What is, who hurt you? You like the humidity? That's the one 
the one thing that I would change about Southwest Louisiana is this humidity. It's horrible. Anyways, Jamal Williams went on to talk about him and Alvin Kamara and the relationship they've developed and if they complement each other. Almost definitely. I mean, he can do everything already, too. I feel like I do everything, too. So once I get the opportunities, I'm great. That's why I'm grateful to be here, too, is just they give the running backs opportunities to go out there, no matter who it is, if it's Alvin, if it's me, anybody. They give them a chance to go out there, run choices, give opportunities, get one-on-ones, and go out there and just make plays. So, But being here with uh, AK is just great. That boy is so awesome because it's just so funny that we, we got drafted together and all that and just our journey and now seventh year here now we on the same team so it's just i just think of like how god works in different ways so i'm just blessed to be here grateful to be with a great dude like ak and really just want to go out there and make noise with him man you know you look at this running back room now with camara and jamal williams james hypothetically in a perfect world how do you split up the touches and the reps between the two? I mean, unless they're just absolutely in a groove in that game, I would kind of just always have it be a change of pace. You know what I mean? Like, you bring in Alvin Kamara, then maybe on second down you bring in Jamal, and then if it's a third and short, you either keep Jamal or you go to Taysom. And then you just kind of keep the constant rotation because then no one's out there for very long. It forces the defense to be like, oh, we got to switch up the personnel every time. It keeps them on their toes. And the running backs are always fresh. So you never have to really worry about it. And it's not like you have to give it to those three every single time. But it's like just having them out there as a threat. And then even sometimes having them out there together. And then sometimes them out there together with Taysom at quarterback. Correct. It's like, as long as you don't give them like four or five carries in a row or have them out there strictly six, seven downs in a row in a drive or just constantly, you never have to worry about it. But constantly switching them up, that way it's not like, oh, Alvin gets his drive or this is Alvin's quarter or this is Jamal's quarter. It's just constantly changing it. And then also just... Does Jamal work better in a certain three wide receiver set that Alvin doesn't? And then what about this I formation? Does the I form work better for Jamal than it does Alvin? Like it, it also just kind of depends on the down, the distance, and the well, situation thing, in the game. One thing that I'm going to be looking out for is, you know, last season, Alvin Kamara got used as your bell cow running back. You pounded him up the middle, you know. You, you looked for him to to get the majority of your yards, and he spent a lot of the season nicked up, and he spent a lot of the season not at a hundred percent, being as effective as he needed to be. So what I'm wondering is, do you now use Camara? You'll see a lot of teams run two back sets, where you have your you know, if you have the situation like the Saints where you have a power guy and then a agility guy, you line either guy up on on either side of the quarterback. Could it be a thing where Kamara becomes more of a receiving back and only runs on occasion 
and Jamal Williams becomes your bell cow? I mean, you kind of have more of the inside runs and the power running be Taysom and Jamal and then mix it up a little bit with Jamal. And you also got Kendra Miller. Zone runs, even with Kendra as well. But it's like you don't really have Kamara do the dirty work going super inside between the guard and tackle as much unless it's at like the one yard line. But even then it's like you can split that between Kamara, Taysom, and Jamal. Yeah, the the, the Saints are going to have – it's a good problem to have, but it's still a problem. Uh, you're going to have a lot of talent and and just not really enough places to to use them all simultaneously. So so guys are going to have to be okay with maybe taking a little bit of a, a role production, uh, if you will. But Jamal Williams also talked about getting used to the New Orleans Saints playbook. Oh, it's easy peasy, lemon squeezy, honestly. It's just, uh, how can I say? <laughs> uh, it reminds me of Detroit's offense because they you know they came from here so it's literally just the same thing it's just a couple of words here and there change so but it's good though I love this guy I love Jamal Williams it is absolutely anytime he opens his mouth it is just incredible Jawan Johnson had a career year last year the tight end position for the Saints looking to build off of that in 2023 Jawan was asked if he can repeat what he did last year? I mean, I feel like there's so much more I, I, I could give and so much more that I, I have. Uh, I feel like a lot of people harp on like the season I've had, but there's so much more that could be done. And and I feel like a large part of it is because, you know, we didn't have a postseason. And so, you know, a, a lot of people want to focus on an individual thing when, you know, you, you go in the all season and, and all, everything is like, oh, I did my job. But at the end of the day, you feel so lonely because you're watching other people you know, in postseason, you know, fulfilling what, you know, everybody wants. And so, um, yes, I had a, to me, I, it was good, um, but it's, there's so much better that I could do. And then he was asked if he can be the best tight end in the Saints locker room. Yeah, I mean, that's why, I mean, that's what, at least that's why I play. I mean, some other people, they just go out there, go through the motions, but um, that's never been me, even when I wasn't the guy. Um, I always felt like I had a lot of confidence in my ability, had a lot of confidence in the people around me, and um, I'm finally getting my chance to show it. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, I really feel I can be um, the best tenant out there. Obviously, there's guys like Travis Kelsey, George Kittle, um, TJ. I mean, there's a lot of guys out there who are really, really good. And, um, yeah, I just have to you know keep working and, and doing my thing and, and helping this team win games because once the team win games, you know, the, the individual accolades come together. So. Before we take a timeout, the U.S. men's national team picked up a 3-0 win last night over Mexico in the CONCACAF Nations League semifinal. Uh, Four red cards, yeah, four red cards were given out in the game last night uh, in a game that got very out of control. The referees actually had to call it with about five minutes remaining due to discriminative chanting coming from the stands last night um so the game was called early again the u.s winning three to zero and they will play for the Concacaf nations league final on sunday against canada but the biggest story has to be the fact that greg burhalter who was probably on the hot seat due to his handling of his relationship with giovanni reyna in the world cup over the summer 
has signed a new contract that will take him as the manager of the U.S. men's national team through the 2026 World Cup. There will definitely be some mixed reactions to that news over the weekend. But again, the CONCACAF Nations League final between the U.S. and Canada taking place Sunday night before the Gold Cup gets underway in two weeks. 531, we'll take a timeout now. Wilson Alexander of The Advocate joins us next to preview LSU and Tennessee from Omaha right here on The Game. Johnson throws. Boutte's got it wide open at the 10. Far side. He's in for the score. Hit high. Hammered to left field. Going back, taking a look. is Holcomb, and it's gone! Time to talk all things Bayou Bengals with the advocates, Wilson Alexander. Here is Tiger Talk on Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh. Wilson Alexander joining us live from Omaha. Wilson, how are you, sir? I'm doing well. How are you all this afternoon? Oh, man, I'm just itching for some LSU baseball tomorrow night. Well, you're not going to have to wait too too much longer. It'll be here before you know it. Uh, just kind of talk about, you know, the postseason run that this team's gone on. Obviously, you know, a, a perfect 5-0 and record in the postseason, playing all five games in the friendly confines of Alex Box Stadium. Going to be a little different now uh, at Charles Schwab Field in Omaha, but just kind of talk about, you know, what you've heard from Jay Johnson and the players about where their mindset is. Well, this is a team that feels like it's getting hot again at the right time. Obviously, LSU, right at the end of the regular season and into the SEC tournament, wasn't playing its best baseball. A 7-7 record over a 14-game span. Um, had that ugly series loss with Mississippi State. Um, but here in the postseason, they seem to have caught fire again and peaking, kind of peaking at the right time when you want to. Five straight wins to go through the NCAA the first two rounds of the NCAA tournament and get back to Omaha for the first time since 2017. They now feel very confident in what they can do here. Um, they know how they stack up against everybody else. Um, they feel like they're going to be able um, to pitch and score and play defense and all of those things. Uh, the pitching staff rounding into a form and kind of figuring out a formula there has been really helpful. And Dylan Cruz spoke about this the other day. They just feel like they're playing their best baseball right now. And you got to be, of course, a lot of the teams are, <laughs> you know, to get to Omaha in the first place. Um, but they feel like they're in a, in a good spot uh, as this tournament gets underway. Now, you brought up guys, you know, like obviously Dylan Cruz and Paul Skeens, both, by the way, picking up national awards over the last 24 or so hours. When you have one guy that makes the impact that, that those two have made on a program, it, it's incredible. But when you have two of them at the same time, just kind of talk about how fortunate LSU is as a program and as a university, really, to have both Paul Skeens and Dylan Cruz on the same team at the same time. Jay Johnson was asked uh, this a very similar version of this question yesterday in his press conference. He said that a few weeks ago, or I guess a few months ago, really, at this point, um, kind of at the beginning or so of the SEC schedule, both Dylan and Paul came to his office at separate times for separate reasons, but then both asked essentially the same thing. What can we do when we are no longer here to help you continue to move this program forward and uh, into this upward trajectory um, that we've now been on this season? And that's not something that you find from everybody, from just anybody. These two are the tone setters, and when you get the leadership out of them, um, it just everybody else falls in line because when your two best players – are also two of your best people. Um, it's a great formula for success, and especially in terms of just the leadership that you're going to get on the team. 
Dylan and Paul, they they dictate how this how this team goes in a lot of ways. There's a lot of talent here, but those those are your two stars, obviously. And um, for them to not only be the talents that they are, uh, but just the, the men that they are, um, is extremely beneficial for LSU, um, both on and off the field. Are you surprised with Tennessee's decision to go with Andrew Lindsay tomorrow night when, when they could have created a, a Dullander versus Skeens matchup? No, Andrew Lindsay, really since the end of April, um, has been pretty, actually their more reliable starter. Um, you look at his starts over that span, and only uh, uh, in the Super Regional, like just now, uh, last week against uh, Southern Miss, um, did he give up more than three runs um, in, in a start. You know, he's gone uh, generally about six innings. He's got a season high of 8.1 shutout innings and a win over South Carolina. Um, Southern Miss was able to get to him a little bit, get him out of the fourth inning, score, put up four runs in, in a game that Tennessee lost there in the Super Regional. Um, but uh, Tony Vitello said yesterday that uh, as Tennessee has really kind of gotten hot near the end of the year, um, they like the way that their pitching staff sets up when they throw Andrew Lindsay, Andrew Lindsay first and Chase Dolander second. So Chase will go in that second game at, by all indications. Uh, now let's see will play Andrew Lindsay. Um, and because it's kind of what ten- got Tennessee here in the first place, it's not a surprise that they'll stick with that formula. Now, obviously, the the baseball team has to focus on one game at a time, but but you and I can sit here and speculate all we want to. Um, so, hypothetically, if LSU picks up a win tomorrow over Tennessee, they'd play the winner of Wake Forest and Stanford. Uh, just kind of talk about, you know, from a matchup perspective, w- which team you think plays better in LSU? Well, Stanford probably does. Um, it's not the kind of team that Wake Forest has been this season. Not to discredit uh, Stanford, it is a talent-based team that had to get to Omaha. Um, but Wake is, you know, was the other team along with LSU that throughout the year looked like the number one overall mm-hmm. team. And obviously, Wake Forest is the number one overall seed. Um, they have a fantastic pitching staff, uh, a good lineup. Um, and it's a matchup that would be really exciting. Um, it's almost unfortunate that, they're, for, that for LSU that Wake is on this side of the bracket right. um, and not somebody else because um, imagining a, a championship series between Wake and LSU would be just fantastic theater. Um, but we'll be able to kind of get you know at least at least one slice, if not multiple, you know games against them um, on this side of the bracket uh, to determine who reaches the championship championship series. Um, you know, if, if, uh, assuming, of course, that LSU and, and Wake Forest uh, end up meeting in game two. So I think it's an, it would be an easier draw if they get Stanford um, just because they are not the sort of team that Wake Forest has been all season. Chatting with Wilson Alexander here for Tiger Talk. Now, you know, anytime somebody talks about Charles Schwab Field, they talk about how it's not very hitter-friendly. It's a little bit bigger than most ballparks, and the wind's always blowing in. Now, I know LSU can can beat opponents in a variety of ways, but their offense has just been so potent this year. Uh, you know, how do you adapt to the new environment that you're in, and and maybe have to win games without as many home runs as LSU has been hitting as of late? Well, it's interesting. Um, that's been the talk around this team kind of over the last week is can LSU um, maybe, you know, win without as much of the long ball. LSU, uh, score, I think, hit 16 home runs, if I'm remembering correctly, 
um, in the super regional, I believe is the stat, um, but I might be mixing that up. It might be over the regional and the super regional, actually. I think it's in the NCAA tournament, they've hit 16 home runs. And um, yeah, normally um, this park is not conducive to that kind of offense. You've got to be able uh, to go station to station a little bit more. And LSU is capable uh, of doing that. Um, but it could be tough on this team if it can't hit home runs, if that wind is blowing straight in and just knocking everything down. Um, at the same time, maybe you know some of those home runs turn into doubles and everything works out okay. It's also because of uh, just changes to the balls and changes to the bats um, that you've seen over the last, uh, really since 2015 around here, um, it's not as bad as it used to be. You know, 2013, 2014, there were three home runs hit in each College World Series. But over the last two years, there's been 28 in each College World Series. Um, so the ball is flying out a little bit at a little bit more regular rate. Um, still a big park, hard to hit it out, a lot harder than it is in most of, um, you know, college baseball. Um, but we're going to have to kind of wait and see it, that answer if LSU is able if that is a hindrance and really it prevents them from from making the run that seems like they can, or if it is uh, they're able to still have the amount of power in this lineup that they've been uh, used to all season. For guys like Cade Beloso, Gavin Dugas, even Jordan Thompson and Josh Pearson, for for guys that have had strong years but haven't been the catalysts of the offense for them to step up in the postseason the way they have and carry momentum into college into the college world series how big is that going to be for lsu well it makes the lineup just dangerous from top to bottom you saw that in particular i think in the regional when josh pearson had you know three extra base hits two triples a homer um because you know you got dylan cruz batting leadoff and now all of a sudden he's coming to the plate with guys, multiple guys on base, you know, scoring opportunities and your best hitters in the box, like you saw, um, you know, there in the um, you know late innings against Kentucky to mm-hmm. to put the capper on that one and stretch out that lead again um, in the clin- you know in the in the game two clincher. And so, um, for all of those guys to contribute um, is, is absolutely vital. Um, and something that LSU has gotten, you know, pretty regularly throughout the year, I think from Beloso, um, you know, Thompson can be up and down. He's got power when he gets into one. Gavin is, I think, a potential X factor in this uh, whole you know week because he's been banged up uh, for, which is usually happens with him quite often. Um, but if he can really turn it on and come through with the clutch hits that he has been prone to do at part times during his career, um, to have him batting you know sixth or fifth or wherever he ends up kind of falling in the lineup, uh, that's huge. And then Pearson again, at the, if he's you know getting on base at the bottom of the order and setting up. You know, scoring opportunities for LSU's you know best hitters, Cruz, White, Morgan, etc. Then LSU's in a really good position, and it's just so hard to go up against a lineup that can do that. When Jay Johnson arrived in Baton Rouge two years ago, he talked about how he was going to get LSU back to Omaha and back to winning national championships because he believed that this was one of the most historic college baseball programs in the country. For his first two years to go super regional trip to Omaha. Just talk about the the trajectory that this LSU program is on. Well, certainly at the moment, it seems like it's on a really positive trajectory and for a number of reasons. I mean, you know, Jay inherited some talent with guys like Jordan, Trey, and of course Dylan, but his recruiting chops, um, he's proven that particularly within the transfer portal, um, he's able to work that thing and get talented guys to LSU uh, to fill in the holes and just make this team as strong as it is, you know Paul Skeens and Tommy White and and so many others. 
are you know just one year or, you know just coming in you know this season and they're all able to mesh as a team and, and just you know really inject some incredible talent into this roster while also recruiting freshman classes that are ranked number one in the country and guys like Paxton Clean, Gling and you know Ethan Fry and, and these guys who um, you know should be uh, you know really good LSU players you know once the current crop that we're kind of seeing leaves and so it, it, you got to feel really good about where this program is headed um, you know you're never really going to get a guy like Dylan Cruz uh, uh, again, if you do, it's it's just incredibly rare and, and lucky. Um, so, you know, obviously LSU wants to try to take advantage of this opportunity here when you have him and Skeens on the same team um, because you're, just ne- you're never going to have that for sure. To, to have, you know, possibly the number one and number two overall picks together at the same time just doesn't happen. And so, but they, at the same time, even if when they're gone, LSU is recruiting at a really high level and uh, seems like as long as they can continue to do that, um, that that they'll be competitive year over year. Wilson, as we close, I'm I'm a wrap uh, I'm a wrap up with the prototypical analyst question: If LSU wants to take down Tennessee in Game One tomorrow night, give me the three keys to victory. Well, it's getting Skeens. There's not excuse me. It's getting Andrew Lindsay. Getting to him early. Um, you know, Southern Miss, like we said, was able to do that. Um, get him out after four innings and make it Tennessee turn to the bullpen. Um, it'll be interesting to see if Tennessee potentially throws Dolander in the same game or if it's saving him, you know, to start uh, their second game. Um, but get Lindsay out, and uh, and it all starts really with Paul Skeens on the other side too. You know, I, I, we assume that he's the one who's going to pitch. We saw him doing sort of his typical uh, day before the game routine at LSU's practice today. Um, of course, Jay Johnson has not come out and said that he will not come out and say any pitching decisions. Um, but assuming that it is Skeens, then, you know, getting a great start out of him sets the, the tone for everything else. Um, and then uh, I would say it's probably, you know, those two things uh, in particular. It kind of comes down to the pitching matchup for me. If LSU's able to get to Lindsay and Skeens can do what he's done all season, then they're going to be in a really good position uh, to win the ballgame. Wilson Alexander of The Advocate joining us live from Omaha. Once again, LSU playing Tennessee in Game 1 on Saturday at 6 o'clock, pregame at 5.30. You can catch it right here on the game. Wilson, appreciate your time as always. Enjoy what will hopefully be the, the next you know, 9 or 10 days in, Baton, in, uh, in Omaha, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Baton Rouge North. Yeah, yeah absolutely, right? Wilson, appreciate you, man. Bye now. And there he goes, Wilson Alexander of The Advocate. We'll take a timeout and wrap up today's show right after this. This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. If you want to take your lady out for a nice dinner, but you're running a little low on cash, not to worry. The Game Clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com can help you with your date night blues. As a member of our rewards club, you'll have the opportunity to score excellent prizes like a $150 gift certificate to Mr. Lester's Steakhouse and the $25 gift certificate to Mabel's Kitchen, both located at Cypress Bayou Casino Resort. But you can only get these great prizes by becoming a member of the Game Clubhouse. Very easy to do. 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. And it's free. So go sign up today. From the Louisiana Raging Cajuns to the latest with the New Orleans Saints and Pelicans. Miguez and Mesh cover it all. I'm not worried. Uh, I think it's something that I can get under control. 
Now back to more Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Crunch Time as we wrap it up today. Once again, as a reminder, the Astros and the Red 710 Astro launch begins at 640 from Minute Maid Park. J.P. France on the mound for the Astros. Andrew Abbott will go for the Reds. Also tonight, Yankees, Red Sox. The Cubs already took down the Orioles 10-3. Blue Jays, Rangers, Rockies, Braves, Guardians, Diamondbacks, and Pirates, Brewers. Just some of the games to keep an eye on tonight in the MLB and, of course, in College World Series. Oral Roberts took down TCU 6-5. to Florida and Virginia getting ready to get started here in about five minutes from Charles Schwab Field in Omaha. Tomorrow, LSU baseball here on the game. Pre-game at 5.30. First pitch set for six between LSU and Tennessee. Or Tennessee. Tennessee. And first thing Monday morning, RP3 will be live in Omaha, 6 to 9 for RP3 and company. I want to take the opportunity to thank Wilson Alexander for joining us today on a Friday fun show edition of Crunch Time. Come back on Monday, 4 to 6, for what will be the final week of Crunch Time before we flip over to being ESPN 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles on the 26th. For James Mesh, I'm Mad Miguez. Be safe, be well, and give a hug to your mom and them. And we're back on Monday, 4-6, to 6, right here on The Game. It's 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros. Once again, Astro launch with Robert Ford and Steve Sparks, 40 minutes away from the juice box right here on The Game.